All right, we all good? Yep, cool. All right, so Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead and in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Thanks, Kim. <clears throat> Please keep your Bibles open and uh, let's pray as we uh, come to this part of God's Word. Father God, we thank you for your Word. We ask that you give us insight and understanding. Help us to understand you and your grace to us afresh and please move us to be the people that you call us to be and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today uh, we continue our vision series, uh, thinking about who we are, what we're on about, where we're going. Um, the idea of vision is, a, is a, it's a seeing idea and it's good to be able to see uh, if you want to be able to know where you're going, to, you know, to look ahead, that's the idea of vision, uh, so that we don't just kind of blindly wander around and kind of bump into things aimlessly. So it's good to have vision. And as we think about our, um, our vision uh, for our church, we're starting with the word grace, which is actually a bit of a strange word. What, is, what does it actually mean? What does grace mean? I think if you ask the, the average person in the street what grace means, I don't know, you might get... Oh, it's kind of, I don't know, it's like elegance, grace, you know, like a ballerina is very, you know, graceful or something. Or, or maybe they'd say it's, oh, it's something weird religious people do before they eat food. They, they, you know, they, they say grace or, you know, once went to a wedding and there's this weird person that's prayed before we ate. Or maybe, it's this kind of vague word. It's, it's a nice word, grace, but it's kind of vague. Come to think of it, why do we use this strange word to uh, name our church? Uh, actually, Carol uh, recently pointed out to me that our website lacks a definition of this word. I'm not sure it might, it might be there by now, but um, and that we, it'd be a good idea to actually explain the word grace uh, because it is a, a strange word in our wor world and culture. And it's a strange concept in our world and culture. We live in, a, I think, an increasingly graceless world. I mean, that's kind of the nature of life. So much of life is, is not about grace, it's about performance it's it's performance based i mean you think about the whole way school works you you work and you get the results uh, that's the same at work you know the, you put the work in you get the reward uh, it's the same on the sporting field you know if you put in the effort you get the you get the the outcome the result that you want even in relationships it can kind of work that way you put this in and you get that out and it, 
the justice system, the legal system, it's about getting what you deserve. Effort brings reward, results. So we live in this, this performance-based world. I think we do see exceptions to it, um, perhaps in a, in a crisis like a bushfire or a flood where, where people go to extraordinary lengths to be, to be generous uh, to help others, other people out. It's not because they somehow earned the right to be helped. The, the help is undeserved. It's a gift. And when we see that, I, I think that resonates. We love that. We, we, you know, we like that. That's a good thing. Maybe that reflects the fact that we, we kind of know that's how things should be. But then even then, our acts of kindness, well, they can come from mixed motives. We like to feel good about ourselves. We like to feel good about our generosity to others. And, and so I wonder if it can even, is that actually grace or is it just another kind of performance-based expression of effort that brings a reward? You know, I, I make the effort to help someone out and I get the reward of feeling good about myself for helping them out. It, in many ways, we live in a graceless world. I think increasingly our culture pushes us uh, to be, to be polarised, with no place for grace. You, know, you are confirmed in, in your position, in your understanding, in your truth, and, and, and others who think differently to you, well, they're to be treated as, as other, as different, as wrong, as, and almost certainly dangerous. They're not to be treated with grace, with kindness, with respect. No, they should be cancelled, they should be silenced, they should be condemned. That's our culture. Grace has little place in our performance-based cancel culture. Why do we use this strange foreign word to name our church? But it gets worse. I think even in church circles, this idea of grace can be sadly foreign. It can be misunderstood. In Roman Catholicism, grace, yeah, it speaks of grace, but grace is seen as some kind of substance. It's a, it's a thing that, that, that God gives us as a reward for, or a payment for our religious performance. It actually kind of turns the true meaning of grace on its head. But we don't need just to look to Roman Catholicism to find graceless Christianity. Uh, for me, growing up in a, a, a Christian family, went to church every week and, and uh, through that I, I, I heard and I believed the gospel and I'm immensely grateful to, to God and to my parents uh, for that. But despite what was preached, I think I, I took on and held what I might call perhaps not a graceless Christianity but a, a grace-light Christianity. See, I figured I was, I was a pretty good guy, I mean, comparatively speaking, I mean, I, I was a sinner, I, I knew that, I, I knew that I, I needed Jesus to die for my sin, but I figured I, I wasn't that bad. I mean, certainly, you know, better than other, some other people, I performed pretty well. Certainly in other people's eyes, I, you know, they were, I was seen as a, probably a pretty good bloke, so maybe, you know, surely God would be much the same. And if, even if God's standard was 100%, because, you know, I've been told that, well, you know, I figured I'd, I'd achieved a pretty solid 85, 90, you know. So I just, I just needed Jesus to get me the rest of the way there. Can you see how my grace-light Christianity was actually graceless Christianity? It was false Christianity. Sadly, I don't think I'm alone in uh, thinking that way. There's, there's a long history of seeing the human condition pretty much 
like that. So even in church circles, grace is sadly misunderstood. So why did we use this strange, foreign and commonly misunderstood word to name our church? Uh, there were some practical, pragmatic value in you know, having an umbrella term across the three congregations meeting in three locations, but, but why grace? Well, the big reason is because grace is at the heart, the, the centre of reality. God's whole stance towards us is one of grace. Who we are as his people is, is grounded in grace. How we live, how we relate, what we do, that flows from grace. It's vital that we get grace, that we understand it, that we re- rejoice in it, that we rest in it, that we, that we live it out, that we let it shape our thoughts, our words, our actions in our homes, our workplaces, our schools, our, our church and in the world. This passage in Ephesians 2 shows us, perhaps better than any other, what grace is and why it is so important. For me personally, it was listening to a sermon on this passage that the penny dropped and I realised I wasn't an 85, 90%. uh, I was far, far worse than that. And I needed all of grace through the Lord Jesus. So I want us to to look at this passage. I want us to to be refreshed uh, with these truths such that we w- it would nourish us, it would humble us, it would encourage us, it would delight us and spur us on individually and as a church in the year ahead. That's my perhaps overly ambitious prayer. So let's have a look at this. Now, to, to get how good grace is, we firstly need to understand how, how badly needed it is. Sometimes... Um, of an evening, Jenny, my wife, and I will, um, will unwind uh, watching one of those home renovation shows, you know, where they have the, 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 the fixer-upper, the run-down, dilapidated house that, that needs, uh, needs a heap of work, and then it gets transformed through the, to this amazing home. And when they, the, when they do the grand reveal, they, uh, they show you the before shot, and then they show you the after shot, just so you can appreciate just how amazing, how good the transformation is. It's a little bit like that here with Ephesians 2. Paul shows us the, the before shot. And I've got to say, it's, it's pretty bad. It, it's almost certainly worse than we think. But we need to see that if we're going to appreciate just how good the transformation is. So come for a wander through the derelict house of the human condition that has a condemnation order hanging over it. Verse 1 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Notice there, the default state of the human condition is dead. It doesn't say weak in transgressions and sins or sick in transgressions or sins. It's dead. And dead people can't do very much. They can't do anything. That's kind of, that's the nature of being dead. But notice it's dead in transgressions and sins. What are, what's transgressions? Well, well, God's law tells us the good that we should do, tells us the bad we should not do, but we, we go against that. We transgress that. We, in our sin, we decide that, well, we know what is good. We want to decide that for ourselves. We, we, we want to decide what's bad. We are dead in transgressions and sins. But actually the picture gets worse, if that's possible. This state of being dead goes hand in hand with with following the world, the devil and the flesh. Verse 2 continues, 
you're dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. The world and its ways, uh, it stands in opposition to God. The ruler of the kingdom of the air, it's a way of speaking of the devil or Satan, so he rules over the earth under heaven, leading people in disobedience to God. And our flesh, it's a way of speaking of our, our sinful state in opposition to God. We followed the world, the flesh, the devil. But then hang on, notice these words, followed, following, gratifying, they their actions. How does that work? I mean, dead people can't do anything except they can float in the current of the world, the devil, and their sinful desires. It's, it's a stark, bleak picture to say we are dead, floating along. But it gets worse still. End of verse 3 says, like the rest... We were by nature deserving of wrath. By nature, in our dead in sin state, we deserve God's condemnation. Now, we might resist that, but actually that makes sense. I mean, if we're shooting for a performance-based outcome, getting what we deserve, the outcome for us would be to face God's righteous judgment. I mean, that, that's what we deserve. For us to say no to God, which we all do in various ways, that would call on God to say no to us. That's justice. This is our problem. This is the, the before state for you, for me, for all humanity. It's not pretty. It's not nice to dwell on, and, we, and I know we, we kind of want to rush on and see the, get, get, let's get to the transformation, the aftershock, but it's actually important that we see the problem clearly. See, it's quite common for people and for churches to, to believe and to, to present a different picture to this, to, to, to redefine the problem as, well, maybe, maybe it's more like being out of tune with God or not living up to the, our God-given potential or, or being unhappy or unsatisfied or impoverished in some way. And, and, and so we'll, we'll just redefine the problem. But if you redefine the problem, you end up inevitably changing the solution and which means you, you end up with a different religion that doesn't actually address the real problem. Being dead in our sins, facing the wrath of God. And, and you end up missing out on the real and glorious solution. But on the other hand, if we don't redefine the problem but actually swallow our pride, face up to the stark reality of our fallen state, well then, we're ready. We're ready to see the, the wonderful glorious solution that the transformation which comes expressed here in these five words verse 4 says but God made us alive we were dead but God made us alive resurrected to life spiritually dead transgressors sinners following the world the devil our sinful nature but God made us alive why 
because of his great love for us, verse 4 says, because he is rich in mercy. Just let that sink in. God loves you. Even when you're dead in your sin, undeserving of his love, God loved you. I don't know about you, you you might be particularly aware of your sin. You might be thinking, gee, I'm, I'm pretty unlovely. How could God love me? But your sin, my sin, it, it doesn't drive God away. If we come to Christ, if, if we belong to him, our sin doesn't drive him away. Our sin evokes his great love, his rich mercy. You know that book, Gentle and Lovely, uh, Gentle and Lowly, sorry? Um, uh, it's one of the 37 books in Ben's top five books. Amen. And it is a... Um, it is a great book. It's, a, it's a, a book about the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. That's, that's the subtitle. It's about Christ's heart for sinners, for, for sufferers. Uh, there's a chapter in there called What Our Sins Evoke. And the author concludes with these words, The sins of those who belong to God open the floodgates of his heart of compassion for us. The dam breaks. It's not our loveliness that wins his love. It's our unloveliness. Our hearts gasp to catch up with this. It's it's not how the world around us works. It's not how our own hearts work. But we bow in humble submission, letting God set the terms by which he will love us. Verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. This is grace. This is God not treating us according to what we deserve, but saving us from sin and death. It is by grace you have been saved, as verse 5 concludes. And notice this salvation comes in Christ. It's in Christ's death that, that our sin is dealt with. We died with him in that sense. In his resurrection, we've been raised spiritually to new life. We, we are at peace with God, forgiven by God. We are his greatly loved, made alive people. And notice that's our current state. Verse 6 says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Notice there, it's, it's past tense. This has happened already. Raised, seated already. We, we've been made alive spiritually. We are now with Christ in the heavenly realm spiritually. This death to life, radical transformation has already happened. It's already happened, but if you like, the grand reveal is still coming. It's kind of like we're in the, we're in the, you know, the ad break towards the end of the show and, and you haven't got to the grand reveal yet. Verse 7 says, he's done this in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So the effect of God's grace, it hasn't yet been fully revealed, but it will be one day. One, one day this world will see Christ, will see his people, people who've been saved from being, being dead in sin to being alive with him, saved by his grace, by his love, his kindness, his mercy. And on that day, the world will see that the outworking the evidence of the incomparable riches of God's grace. That word incomparable, it, it actually occurs five times 
Yeah, there is five times in the New Testament, three of them here in Ephesians. It has a sense of being all-surpassing, exceedingly great, bigger than anything. So back in chapter 1, verse 19, Paul talks about knowing the incomparably great power of God. In chapter 3, he speaks of knowing the all-surpassing love of God, God's power, his grace, his love, the incomparable riches of God's grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus. That will be on show one day. We can struggle to, to get grace. As I said earlier, it, it's, a, it, it's a strange foreign concept in this world, in this increasingly graceless world. Um, perhaps that's why Paul repeats himself to help his readers, to help us to get this vital point. And so he says, verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Our, our salvation comes to us from God as a gift. It's, it's not from ourselves. It's, it's not from our effort, our performance, our good works. We, we can't boast and say, well, look, you know, look what I contributed to my salvation. Look at my, my 85, 90%. No, we, we contribute nothing to our salvation except the, the sin from which we are gloriously saved. So what is grace? Well, it's God saving us even when we didn't deserve it. Even when we were dead, disobedient, deserving of wrath, by grace, he loved us. He made us alive with Christ. He saved us. What does that mean for us? Well, by way of application, this calls us, this, this invites us to, to live in God's grace. Firstly, to receive God's grace. I don't know where everyone is at with God uh, where your heart is before him. If you haven't yet received God's grace, I, I hope that you can see here something of the incomparably great riches of God's grace expressed in his kindness, his undeserved kindness to us in Christ Jesus. See his love for you. Receive his gift of salvation. That, that's what faith is. Faith is just receiving the gift, trusting the gift of God. And as we receive that gift, well, so we, we continue to rest in that, to rest in God's grace. And I want to say, if you're feeling beat up, down about yourself, discouraged, remember God's grace in Jesus. He loves you. He, is, he has made you alive with Christ. And that doesn't depend on your performance. So rest in God's grace. Rejoice in God's grace, live in God's grace. And secondly, live, live out God's grace. See, God's grace, um, it, it changes and defines who we are. It, it gives us purpose. See there, verse, verse uh, 10, Paul concludes, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're, we're God's handiwork. His grace, his kindness, he's, he's taken us from being dead in our sins, raised us up to life, created us in Christ Jesus to be his people. He's given us a new identity. You know, contrary to the, 
what the world tells us, you know, the, the, the culture of our days tells us that, you know, we're, we're self-made individuals. We define ourselves. We choose our own identity. We're God's handiwork. We're created by God. We're given our identity in Christ Jesus as his people. He gives us an identi- our identity and he gives us a purpose, namely to do good works the good works he's prepared in advance for us to do. What a privilege that is. God has prepared good things for you to do tonight, tomorrow, this week, next year. They're not good works to to somehow warrant or earn our salvation. That's been given to us as a gift. They're good things God wants us to do. He's prepared them for us ahead of time. How good is that? Our church um, has a vision statement the thing about vision, we have a vision state which tries to capture what we're on about, what we're longing to see, what we want to be, what we want to become. A part of that vision statement speaks of, of our response to God's grace. It's, it's that we would be so anchored in God's grace, so compelled by God's grace that in response we give ourselves wholeheartedly to, you could say, to, to do the good works which God has prepared for us. God graciously gives us Jesus. Our response is to to give ourselves to be his people, to do his will. Our vision series uh, invites us to respond to God's grace. Um, That could take many forms. It should take many forms in all sorts of different good works which God has prepared for us. Uh, Three responses in particular that we're thinking about as as part of our vision series are, are to pray, to serve and to give. And I want to invite us all as we as we go through this vision series towards our vision Sunday in two weeks time to to reaffirm our commitment in response to God's grace to us in Jesus to commit ourselves in the year ahead to to pray to serve and to give Uh, our vision series brochure outlines the details of that please um, have a read of that please read the old-fashioned paper letter that goes with it Um, but can I encourage you to take some time tonight in the, in the week ahead, in the, in the days ahead, to re- bigger than that, to reflect on the, the incomparably great riches of God's grace expressed to us in Jesus. To reflect on who you are in Christ Jesus and the wonderful calling that he's given you as his handiwork. And may we consider how we can, together in response, give ourselves wholeheartedly to the good works that he's prepared for us in the year ahead. That's what I want to do. And uh, I invite you to join with me as we commit to do that together. How about I pray for us now? Our Heavenly Father, we do thank and praise you for your incomparable riches of, of your grace. We thank you that though we are dead, we were dead in, in transgression and sin, that you have made us alive in Christ. That you've forgiven our sin and welcomed us into your family. Now, Father, we uh, thank and praise you for your grace and we pray that, that we would rest in it, that we would rejoice in it and that we would live out your grace as we do the good works which you have prepared in advance for us to do. We pray that we would live as your people to your glory and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.